0: things like that but I think
1: um, it was good going back down memory lane when you said that I was like because <laughs> you don't want to sound like a wanker either do you you're still recording me but, still recording. but, um, but you don't, that, that, you that you don't want to sound, sound white white. like you kind That's of oh I did like. this I did this and,
0: 25 of Australian Design Radio to provide Australia and the world with conversations and commentary on Australian design. I'm Flynn, and with me, as always, is Matt Leach. Hello, Matt. Hey,
2: how are you? I'm
0: good. This is a long one.
2: This is a long one. It's look, we talked to Michaela Webb, yep. who is the founder, along with her partner and husband, of Studio Round, which I think they just call Round now. Yeah, actually. So, Round. Um, and it's a long one. We had so much to talk to her about. It's also... Got the value out of our trip to... <laughs> yeah. yeah. trip to Melbourne anyway. We're, it's also recorded in their studio. Right. Um, and it's, it's a beautiful old studio. It's like heritage listed. It's, it's just... It's quite echoey yep. in certain parts. So just be aware of that. We also had people playing jazz music in the background. The cleaners were like emptying bins. There was like all sorts of... But, you know, the thing is that we talked about some amazing stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah, which is incredible, so... What did we talk about?
2: Well, we talked a bit about um, her earlier career, um, you know, working for giants like Wolf Owens and, and Spin, and just this kind of how Round became uh, a kind of a designer for the arts and culture, because that's pretty much what they do. They do lots of arts and culture clients.
0: Yeah. And uh, we spoke a little bit about getting involved with. with clients and kind of linking them together
2: yeah well so broadsheet kind of was you know their big thing that they launched from their studio with yeah. with with other people but then they also do this amazing job of kind of linking clients together and kind of producing something that wasn't there before she tells a really good story about how they kind of got the melbourne symphony orchestra which is one of their clients with another one of their clients who was the melbourne wine and food show and then they kind of brought in another one of their clients um Chef Andrew McConnell uh, to kind of produce this whole kind of event that was all about food and music and you know and I like the idea there because that, that didn't exist before Round was involved yep um, and it probably wasn't going to exist, and, but they kind of made that happen. I think that's really interesting.
0: And we spoke a bit about the DNA AD Awards that yeah. happened
2: with, um, she went with Kevin Finn. She went with Kevin Finn, yeah. So that happened this year, um, both, you know, to the Australian judges, just to get a bit of an insight into what happens at those kind of awards. I mean, mm-hmm. they're just so big and there's so there's so many entries and it's just, and so many amazing judges there. So just to kind of hear about what how she felt about it and, and what the sort of process was.
0: I loved hearing you talk about the, the cultural differences between how people interpret the, even the word branding. That was, and how many, yeah. Like how, how it's just so different for I, people.
2: I have so many more. I mean, I think at the very end, oh, we sort of said goodness. we had so many more questions than we came with. Um, yeah. And I think particularly about that sort of area because I think, yeah, there's a whole other kind of conversation to be had there.
0: Yeah. Will you guys be the judge? Let us know what you think. like chronologically here and um, I did a bit of digging. Uh, well, we did a bit of digging and, and found we can thank AG Ideas for getting you involved in kind of communication design. Is that right?
1: Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, I think it was in, and I'm trying to get the date to uh, 1993.
3: Wow. Okay. That's a long time ago. Cool. Do you remember the? Was was it the whole event or was it a particular speaker? Um,
1: it was um, the whole event probably, and um, and at that stage I was a fine arts student. I think there was a, there was a couple of factors. One was the design school. I went to had a very strong fine arts department, and graphic design really didn't have. I mean, I guess it was much more illustrative based. Like it had um, a few people doing illustrations, and whereas the fine art department was kind of really strong, and there was and there was all sorts of different majors, and there was really interesting lecturers and students. But at the same time, there was a group of students got asked to go along to AG Ideas, and at that stage, being Um, You know, from small town New Zealand going to Melbourne was a really big jump. And, um, coming to see the conference and and that's when i actually realized what graphic design was i don't think i had any idea before that you know it seemed like a really boring thing and it seemed sort of like uh, to me didn't seem creative and realizing at the conference that it was hugely creative mm. and there was a huge amount of thinking and it was the same conceptual thinking that i'd been working on within a fine arts world only for two years um i'd done i'd actually worked as a um not worked actually I was a fine arts student so I hadn't done any working but um, (laughs) um, and probably didn't know very much anything about fine arts at that stage you know as a student thinking back on it but but it was the concepts and the thinking that I loved and realised that that was Probably for me at that stage, even stronger going to that conference in graphic design than yeah. it was in in fine arts, and realising the potential that it had. So the funny thing was, I went back and and went to the head of the school and said, I, I don't want to do fine arts anymore. I want to do design. And they were um, they were sort of like, well, you have to start again. And I was like, there's no way I'm starting again. <laughs> and I managed to convince them that I could cross over to the final year and just do oh
3: wow yeah graphic design in the final year. Yeah,
1: that's right. <laughs> were, that's right. They were like, no, 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 no. They, they did, and and at the same time, they had a very good lecturer who who was Lisa Grocott, who's actually the senior uh, associate professor, I think her title is at Parsons in New York now. So she was a huge. Um, she would started lecturing at the university, and and at the same time, I was able to cross over and and do that final year. So really, my education is is sort of only one year graphic design, and then. Uh, three years fine arts. That was the four years. Um, uh, so, a, is there know. something
3: you specialised in? Fine arts? Were you painting? Or? Oh no,
1: sculpture. 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 So, okay. I think I think um, sculpture was what I specialised in, and that has for us as a studio meant that we do a lot more sculptural work. So, we've right. done um, for the. T- Tasmanian Museum and Art Gallery we did um, a huge amount of commissioned some sculptures but also did a whole lot of iconic primers that were quite sculptural and I think um, so it has definitely Mm. kind of come together I was just
3: going to ask whether you you still do fine art in in your spare time but you're...
1: Yeah I do I do do it and actually the studio so I do a lot of um, work with clay and now three members of the studio, in our studio, do that as well, oh, so yeah. we do, yeah, I think making is hugely important to what we do, and and form and making and for me it's more a kind of relaxing thing, but every Saturday um, afternoon I, I'm I've done for are. four years. Here. Yeah, I've got a studio. Well, I work with Cone Eleven from Abbotsford, Combin, and um, yeah. So it's it's um, definitely part of our studio and our practice. I think to try and do more of that. I, I,
3: mean, I guess um, you know, in the world that we're kind of living in now, with this kind of digital is becoming so big, it's mm. quite important to have something tactile. So you can kind of mold.
1: Mold and make. I think so. Well, it, for me, it was just more a effect that with with the world becoming digital and the thinking that we do during the week, it was kind of this this um, chance to actually just not think and yeah. make. And and then I started to make and started to go. Oh, maybe we could. I was going. Oh, this could. I could make this into a product line. And um, Rob, who is my business partner and husband, was like that this isn't meant to be commercial this is just meant to be you just doing something that's relaxing and I have to keep reminding myself that um, but it's not meant to be anything it's just making for making's sake yeah. um, but we had this this great intern a couple of years ago and he was a surfer, a really keen surfer and he um, he worked in a surf shop in the weekends uh, down the coast in Bordialik, and he said, and there was three of us here doing pottery at the time, and we were talking in the lunch, you know, at lunchtime about um, what we were making, and he said, oh my god, it's so strange the girls that I work with at the surf shop, they all do pole dancing in the weekend. And um, you guys all do pottery. And and we were like, well, it's really similar. Just, you know, just go round and round, up and down, and you kind of centre something. And he was like... He was sort of saying, they just do it for exercise, nothing else. And we were like, oh, yeah. And I keep thinking, there's a book in kind of pole dancing and pottery, and it's that... In Melbourne, it's that north-south thing and and, um, the differences. So... um, <laughs> yeah, anyway. but I'll go back to the to AG ideas. So it, it, it was hugely, it did definitely make me realise what graphic design was and, yeah. and what um, what it could achieve. I suppose.
3: So you finished in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. How, how did you end up in the UK?
1: Um, I finished in New Zealand and worked for a couple of years, and then went back and did full time lecturing. So I took Lisa Grocott, the one that went to Parsons. Yeah. I took her role. Um, at the university and worked with The student yeah. has
3: become the master. <laughs> it, was,
1: it was amazing. And I think that's, that it was amazing for me because I'd only done one year of graphic design. Right. So to lecture in graphic design, it was almost like doing a... Um, a redoing the yeah. degree and that right. I had. And I managed to write the honours year and get that approved. You know, that was like doing your own honours. Yeah. And, um, and that made me realise what I was doing with the students and the honours, I wasn't going to be able to work at that, at that level in, in New Zealand at that time. You know, all the work I had been doing was like for a meat, uh, milk teat sort of factory or something. You know, it was all very rural and farming. Yeah. So um, I went to the UK and I managed to get a job at Wolf Ollins, which was fantastic. I suppose a lot of the work I'd done in New Zealand, even though it was very... Um, Engineering and industrial. I'd worked for um, done a whole identity and a style guide for a tyre company, which is Bridgestone. Bridgestone yeah. tyres, and they had amalgamated with um, Oliver Retread. So there was Oliver Retread and Bridgestone, and they came together. And I'd worked on a whole. Um, New identity for that. So when I went to Wilfollins with my portfolio, they needed a designer in the General Motors team. So wow. I became the General Motors designer, <laughs> Great. Um, which was which was interesting, but it was also quite challenging being a female designer at Will Follins At that time, there was um, eighty the designers, and there was two females. Wow. wow! Yeah, and and the two females. Um, and then me being the third. Um, the, the other two tended to do much more arts and culture, and I was on the General Motors team, you know, and I'm doing um, vehicle badging, and and Saab at that stage was rebranding and redoing their whole identity. So it wasn't um, the kind of work that I really wanted to be doing, but mm. it was a chance to be part of a really big branding company that was doing really interesting work at the time. And then while that was happening, I was fortunate enough to... Um, be put on the team to work on the Tate identity so um my job for that was not about strategy at all and at that stage I didn't understand what strategy I mean I really didn't understand how that and what we did work together you know there was these strategy teams that would kind of work in these boardrooms and shut the door and they'd come up with these (laughs) ideas and I was kind of like oh yeah and and not really sure how that worked and they they um had these um, ideas they wanted to do something to change the way Britain saw art and how they, the world perceived Britain and at that time I was like <laughs> I do not know how we're going to do that but I realised that there was this whole idea about seeing and um, that kind of seeing and sensory and there was a few of us working at that time and at that time at Wolf you didn't as a designer you didn't get to have a computer. You had a computer to do your timesheet. that okay. you had everything else was was drawn.. Wow, right. And they had then they had a team of Mac operators, and you spent your time booking people. <laughs> so with the Tate identity, um, we cut that those letter forms out. so we got a type book, blew it up on a photocopier, cut it out, got spray paint, sprayed. The, wow. That logo. So, we were spraying different visions and seeing and blurring, and what does blurring mean, and um, how do we not see something, and how does it become more human? And um, so, those ideas weren't our ideas, they were the strategist's ideas. We were taking those and trying to interpret right. those in a, in a, in a way, um, not really understanding. At that stage, not really understanding how strong the identity could be or how it could change perceptions, I didn't really, um, I couldn't comprehend that. It's only, I think, in retrospective, when you look five years on and go, wow, that was a really interesting strategy and it was great to be part of it. But mm. I would take what I sprayed, take it to a scanning department. Yep. They would scan it, then they would give that to someone that either worked on it, probably on Illustrator, I think it was, or PageMaker, and mm. then... Um, we would take it into a presentation, we weren't even allowed to cut and paste we had there was a whole cutting and pasting department. So you had loads of forms. So it Will Vollins at that stage had two hundred and sixty people and eighty designers and then there was about eighty Mac operators, cutting and pasting, there was a project management team and then chefs that kind of made food and um, (laughs) and management. And you were all on different levels. So you all had a different floor in a building. So designers were all on one level, project managers on another and then the Mac operating team was on another level. So for me, the hard thing was I realised, and and I think if you stayed there for long enough, it wouldn't have been a problem at all, but I was very worried while I was there because I wasn't on the computer and I'd been trained on the computer and when I lectured, a lot of it was on the computer and I realised at this stage, I had to go back to drawing and concepts, which meant that I had to draw on that sort of more fine arts um Side of my brain to kind of to to sell in those concepts and um, and to work on what the ideas were outside of what the execution was, and they didn't care what font you used. It was all about the ideas. And um, whereas up to that stage, I'd been completely into sort of typefaces and grids and layouts and 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 doing all my own um, work. And then all of a sudden, that was sort of you had to sit next to someone else and direct them. So quite a different skill set.
3: A massive difference. I mean, it just it reminds me um, a bit more of like having an advertising agency probably works now mm. in the sense that you've got the people come up with their concepts and then there's lots of other people who kind of have a hand in
1: that. That's right. I mean, we, we often, we've worked a lot with Clemengers here and with James McGrath and his team and, and quite often it's a case of they just say to us, can you just direct the team? And it's exactly that's. It's like going back into Wolf Olins days where you just kind of got all this team. You've got an artwork department, and you can just get them all, within two days. You can get the most amazing things yeah. made and produced. And um, but the idea's got to be there. Mm. It was interesting, but I was dying to get back onto um, a side of of working where I actually was back on the computer and I. I was really conscious that after lecturing for a few years and then being at Wolf Hollands for a few years I needed to kind of keep being up to date I suppose with technology otherwise I was going to be a designer that was completely unemployable I suppose but um, so that's when I went to spin and um, it was a really interesting move at the time because spin was about um, I think about eight people and um, it was going through a huge growth. And they just... I'd been doing all of... As well as doing General Motors at Wolf Islands, I'd also done Orange mobile oh phones. Yeah. Right. And um, Spin had just won the Orange mobile phone account. And so they he- headhunted me to come along and be part of Spin and do um, some of the work with Orange. But um, at the time, Spin was also doing... Um, had just worked, was working on Christie's Contemporary, and it was a time when a lot of designer um, boys were really interested in doing Nike or Diesel, and I was really wanting to do art-based things, and um, do Christie's Contemporary, and work with um, Wolfgang Tillmans and and amazing artists, and that was what was really, for me, after doing General Motors, that, and after being able to have that glimpse of doing the tape work, I was like, this is exactly what I want to do is do the cultural and arts based work. So
0: Like was that a was that a happy accident or was that a strategic kind of move for you?
1: It was strategic, yeah.
0: Yeah. So you did understand what strategy was.
1: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I had a little bit of strategy understanding by that by that stage. I had um yeah, it was totally strategic. I'd realised that Wolf Follins was a Big, big place, and and I at times I felt like a part of a factory, yep. a cog, where yep. strategists would come up something. Um, art directors and senior designers would work on it. it. Was me with me? I was a middleweight designer. I got handed it. I got to, there was no juniors in the design floor at all. Um, so, you, so you were at the bottom of the pecking order. You were, had to implement something, but then there was this weird. You were the sandwich between implementing something with no tools and handing it on to someone else and directing them from behind. And at that stage, I think I was used to the happy accidents often became the output of the yeah. work. You know, when you're, when you're making something and creating something and then you suddenly see something that you hadn't seen before yeah. and you go, wow, that's really interesting, and off you'd go on a different tangent. But you didn't have a chance to do that, yeah. and I found that it was like working with your hands tied. So i had I definitely wanted to go to spin and i 'd made um, most of the work I did, probably the biggest amount of work was with the, Do- the Deutsche Bank of Germany okay. and it was with their private art collection and they 're the biggest and I don't know how this works. So the biggest we've um, got the biggest private art collection in the world and I don't know how they can actually claim that because it's not really very private being a bank. But um, <laughs> but that's their that is their tag, that's what the line that they say. Yeah. So it's a huge art collection and a most amazing um, the most amazing curators, so they had three really interesting curators who had huge budgets at that stage and um, their whole job was just about communicating the art collection. So I would fly to Germany at that stage with uh, Trish, who was the other partner with Tony, um, and we would go across there and they would say, okay, we've got a collection of, you know, Cara Walker." Prince, what can we do? And 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 of course at that stage all I would want to do is books. So I'd just say, Oh, let's do another book and I'd be like, Yep, fine and <laughs> and so we it was a really it was amazing, um It was an amazing time, I think, with budgets, because also the dot-com had kind of gone crazy. So the design companies had huge budgets. The magazine I I started, which was called Visual, and it's still going now with um, Deutsche Bank. Different designers have worked on on different uh, versions, but it was the first version. We had a year to put that magazine together. Like we had a whole year and we had these amazing budgets to work with photographers. Like yeah. I, I was able to go on a shoot with Michael Danner and we went to different countries shooting different spaces about how arts hung. And, and it was like a time when, when I just couldn't believe... That just wouldn't happen now. Mm. You know, now um, I think budgets have got tighter and tighter for magazines. In fact, um, you know, we'd we'd probably now get less than we would have five years ago to, mm. to produce a magazine. So um, from a budget point of view, you know, you really were able to push things and, and work on them. But they would expect a lot. And there was no digital media so everything that print piece held everything you know it was everything for them it was the directory it was um it was about what they did there was interviews it was it was sort of five years of work all put into that one publication and um, whereas now those things would be constantly being put out there and reworked and reworked and, and so you weren't able to I mean, from now to back then, we were able to finesse something to mm. to such a degree and the conceptual side of it was huge, whereas now it's like, get it out quickly, yeah. do another one, get it out, you know? I think, I
3: think Kevin Finn was, was talking about this idea of like, back, back then it was very much about this sort of artefact mm. that you could create and it, you know, it became something where we don't have that so much anymore.
1: No, he's absolutely right, yep. And, and it became finishing that job it was like finishing a degree Mm. you know that magazine (laughs) and and we would do all-nighters and um because it was this it was like a work of art and and um it was a it was a sort of it meant something at that time it meant something to those curators and to that organization and you'd have a huge book launch I remember even printing it I was up for, on press for like 72 hours, we wow. were printing <laughs> this thing, and it was, and everyone was kind of like so um, it was seen as so important uh, interviewing the printing companies was a two day process yeah. and they interviewed like eight different yeah. companies in Germany to find out who was going to be the best printer wow. to do this publication because of the artworks, and we, test, we went to the paper mills and tested paper, you know, and A week in Vienna testing paper, like you just wouldn't do any of that. And now I have to kind of, um, you know, papers keep getting cancelled, so you're trying to go. Okay, well that stock doesn't matter anymore. We'll just go to the next one. So it's it's huge. It was a hugely different time and um, craft and craft and the craft, the printing craft was held. So the paper craft, the the um, design craft, and the written craft was. It was done um, to such a degree and a lot of that and the photography at that time, you know, some of the work that was photographed. We had Erwin Worm, who is an amazing um, photographer or artist, his work now um, he's got a piece in Mona in in Hobart. I think that work the tape couldn't even afford to buy it. It's you know worth millions and millions. We had him photograph the front cover
3: right. of
1: this of this magazine and um, you know There was a budget for that, for him to do that, and um, there's just no way we'd get the budgets for that anymore. So I think it was, for me, at that time, spin went from, um, you know, eight people right up to 25 people. we got a huge digital team, moving image team, really changed the company and the organisation um, and and I think being part of that growth was really amazing to sort of see and the, the kind of difference of work that they actually started producing yeah. and really became the time when SPIN was known for that work, you know, I did all the Haunch of Venison identity, yeah. um, that was all, all work that I did and we did the Whitechapel identity yeah. and we did um, Huge amount of arts-based work at that stage. Orange was very short-lived. So, of, you know. so, what
3: brought you back to the times
1: It got to a stage with spin. It's and and working in London as a designer, you don't have. There's not a lot of life other than the work, and and you have to love it. And I do love it, but we would at least once a week be there all night, mm-hmm. um, and there was a couple of times when we'd go through two nights in a row and weekends you always work weekends I mean I don't think I ever got out of there till 10 o'clock at night was seen as a that was reasonable you know midnight was kind of like you put in the hours and and quite often at least twice a week you were there at two in the morning and you were back in at seven in the morning so um, I think I realized that I couldn't just keep going like that and I was also missing I suppose growing up in New Zealand I was missing that um southern hemisphere that kind of idea of lifestyle and outdoors and um at food at that stage in London was kind of non-existent I I (laughs) went back this year it was brilliant but at that stage it wasn't great you know chips and curry sauce wasn't a great diet and um you know so it was tasty it was tasty (laughs) yeah so um I was missing that whole side and and um came to melbourne to try and see if there was a chance to be able to still do arts and culture work um but have that have a bit more of that lifestyle and mm. and get um try and see if there was a way to get best of both worlds and
3: that's, and that's one of the questions i really wanted to ask you because because round does a lot of sort of cultural and arts um work and mm. i guess for me what what is that like and, and why are you attracted to that because because typically that's the kind of area that designers would love to do but also hate doing because working for other creatives can often be a horrible job.
1: Look, it, it, yeah. it's definitely something that there are good and bad arts and culture clients no. <laughs> um, and I think uh, we definitely as a studio have learned more and more. We try and, we try and really successfully collaborate with those arts and culture clients. So we did Chunky Move a couple of years ago and... Um, The artistic director had a real vision Mm -hmm. and it's very hard as a like you say two creatives to make sure that there's space for both of those people and uh, we really try to kind of understand that vision and and um, are able to articulate that so we often do a lot of strategic writing beforehand to try and take what they're trying to say and and then reinterpret it and take it to a space that they uh, couldn't imagine it means that you're always trying to be extremely creative yourself to try and push things so that they feel inspired because if you just give them what they want yeah sometimes that that's what they want but they actually that's not what they really want yeah. what they really want is for them to be yeah. really inspired themselves and to be pushed to another level and and then they kind of go ah, oh, okay i can actually see where you're trying to take this yeah other, at other times, they go, no, no, just give me what I want. So, um, you know, it's always there's always a risk. We've been um, we've been able to negotiate that, but then also bring on other collaborators and allow them to have space within the workers as, as well. We always try and talk about making sure there's enough space for people within the work we do. So mm-hmm. it's never it's often never concluded or never finalised. We might start something and then allow others to be part of it, which is um, a kind of difference that we we try and bring. And um, it's the same as what Chris Doyle does with with musicians, I suppose. You know, he tries to do something and then he'll allow the musician to have a part of that and and be part of that work and take them on that journey. And often, you know, at times we've both spoken about the fact that... um, allowing the work to have the intelligence but space there for others to be part of i think is is definitely the way we sort of a difference that we kind of add and then we also do a lot for hospitality as well and i guess that's where broadsheet kind of came in and and what's interesting about that is that i did a fine arts degree so arts and culture and rob was a chef in Mm. new zealand so um so the other side of round is Rob, and he does a lot more of the strategic work, strategic thinking and st- strategy work. And he um, he originally was a chef in New Zealand and opened up restaurants in London and. Um, started restaurant so he um that food side i guess it's where your where your education and your understanding comes from and if you understand that discipline whether it's fine arts or culture and you're interested in it and that's where your passion is or food i think if you're passionate about it and you love it then you you bring that into the work you do and it and it and it shows so
3: broadsheet was i think when it first came out it's, it's been out what Four,
1: five years now. Oh no, much longer. Oh, really? Is yeah, it? Yeah, oh, much so in longer.
3: Sydney, it's, Sydney, is quite recent.
1: Yeah, in memory—it's like seven years old.
3: Right. Okay.
1: Um, and Nick Shelton, who who um, began Broadsheet. When he came to us, he wanted to do something. It was it started as online. Right. So it was never. It wasn't you know, right. It wasn't, it wasn't even a. There wasn't anything about the street press. Really? We started it. He, well, he started it online, and he um, ended up working from our studio. Oh, wow. Rob actually employed the first editor. So, we oh, right. employed that person, and they came on board. And at the beginning, it was about... Um, it was an online... It was like a time-out. It was an online... Um, What's happening in Melbourne kind of thing, and we realised we were running different articles. I I edited it for a couple of weeks, um, so we all kind of took on different roles, and that was really hard actually. And trying to find articles, and what we were looking at was the click through rates and the audience. And we realised the click through on food was was huge. huge. So (laughs) it kind of it never started in that angle, but um, probably because of our contacts with food round and the work we we do a lot with. Andrew McConnell and uh, we do a lot with Melbourne chefs we were able to get access to those chefs and get better stories and yep. get the inside stories so um, one of the articles we did which was for Golden Fields which is now closed down but um, it was Andrew McConnell's restaurant before he started Supernormal, mm-hmm. and um we did an article on behind the scenes, the making of, and it and it was it had a huge click through. So, I think we were able to see that trend of, of food and what people were clicking on. And when we wrote something about chairs or art, no one clicked on it. So you know we were like, oh, okay. Um, so as designers, I think that was interesting because you start to see where the stories are interesting and yeah. what people want. And um, From that, we still didn't have a very big audience, and no one knew about the online presence. I mean, it was only real sort of forward thinkers or leaders. So um, it was never meant to be a paper. So the funny thing was, Broadsheet as a name, it was was about talking about... Yeah, the, the online broadsheet. So it was yeah. the kind of online of a broadsheet tabloid newspaper. And then it's kind of like, we're going to need to do a broadsheet now to get the audience. Yeah. So that, what was interesting was everybody thinks that it was the print version that started and then it yeah. went online. But actually, it was, it was the opposite. And it was at a time, though, where people needed print to understand what it was. And then they right. clicked on right. online. So I think it was seven or eight years ago now. I have to work out the dates. Um,
3: because it's, it's one of those things I've always
0: I always just pick it up and it's just because it had a very classic
1: kind of mm.
3: design
0: but very modern kind of writing that's funny I pick it up in Melbourne but I never pick it up in Sydney I
1: think, think it's because right. you kind of it's because it started as the time out it was the thing of what's mm-hmm. on and when you're in Melbourne you probably are thinking where do I go? Whereas yeah. in Sydney, you know yeah. where you want to go yeah. when you, and you haven't got any time, probably. Yeah. You're kind of like, I just yeah, need I've to. I've
0: heard enough about Messina. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's right. You're like, I don't need to know any more ice cream. But, um, you know, it was, um, it was definitely a um, really interesting piece for us to do and then Broadsheet got too big and they needed to find their own space that so was like a little baby that needed to go mm. flow out of the nest so, you know
0: so michaela that sounds like a, like you guys were really really involved in like more than, more than design obviously yeah. yeah in that particular project is that is that common sense like having someone launch almost a business from your from your studio and being that involved from the from the beginning all the way through?
1: Um, no, not, not like to that extent. Boardsheet was definitely unique. But we definitely do try to... We definitely do get more involved, I think, in our clients and a lot of others. Well, I don't know. It's really hard to compare. But I, I do think we do get very involved. Um, we're working with the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra, like I said before, and we um, they needed to talk to new audiences. And at the same time, we were doing the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. So we ran an event with Andrew McConnell at Cut- and co the restaurant we'd done, so we'd done. We were doing a new place with Andrew, but we ran an event um, and we got Andrew to create food based on music that the MSO wrote. And then the food and the music, the musicians played the music on the night right. with the food being produced. And it was this complete sensory experience, and people bought tickets. And it was the highlight of the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. So we're often trying to not to make it look good, but maybe it was more about understanding that the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra needs to talk to younger audiences and how were we going to do that? Yeah. The Melbourne Food and Wine Festival needs to be world class and how is that going to happen? And Andrew McConnell wanted to do something that was truly creative. So, yeah. you know, we knew what they were all about, what they all needed, mm. and it was about connecting those dots. Yeah. So we're often doing that. We're often kind of trying to... Um, connect different things together mm. whether we're working with an artist and then we've just finished working with an artist who's now going to, we've just done a butcher's shop with Andrew and that artist is going to do an installation in the front of the butcher's shop, oh, so we're yeah. often yeah. trying to connect that, that's happening tomorrow so there's, um, I think it's probably more of a role of, of um, designer slash art director trying yeah. to create an experience you're, you're a slashy. A what so?
3: Slashy. <laughs> <laughs> this, this sort of person who, who does lots of different Your studios are slashy.
1: Slashy, you slashies, so that's right. It sounds like a crazy drink or something.
3: <laughs> it does, yeah. Um. I'd brought up Kevin Finn before, and um, that reminds me you went and judged the DNA ad with Kevin um, yeah. this year. Can I, what was that like?
1: Well, it it was brilliant, actually. I I came out of it thinking, I just want to be a full-time judge. I don't don't (laughs) want to be a slashy anymore. I just want to be a judge. Um, But um, Kevin and I, um, we are friends back from New Zealand days, where Kevin worked in New Zealand. Right. right. So um, Kevin and I are one day apart, birthdays, and he... um, when I was lecturing, when I was 24, I wanted to get someone from the industry to speak to the students, and um, Kevin had just arrived in New Zealand from Ireland and got a job at the time with um, DesignWorks, and um, I happened to meet him and got him speaking to the students, and we. Be- and then managed to get him to miss his flight. And from then, we've always been friends. And when I was in London, I actually spent often New Year's with his parents in, in Ireland. Oh, wow. And And we'd ring him. He was in, in Sydney at the time. And um, we'd end up ringing him. And he was always, always on the beach in, in Bondi. And, and we were like freezing cold, and but with his mum and dad. So... Um, I think we've gone. You know, we, we've done lots together, but the fact that we were both going over and judging was a complete coincidence. Really? And we both kind of said to it, "It was wonderful because we both now got small children and and um, have a great friendship, and we were able to be there together." But we weren't in the same category. So um, he was judging graphic design, and I was judging branding. Okay, and. Um, and in each category, there was uh, seven judges. Mm-hmm. So, And the days were really long. So even though um, Rob, my partner, and Kieran, Kevin's partner, and the children got to spend all day together, Kevin and I hardly saw each other. Like, we sort of waved across this big warehouse space. Mm-hmm. And um, he'd quickly show me what he was judging, and I'd do the same. And actually, yeah. we were judging really similar work, because people would end up not knowing which category to put it in. Yeah. So they'd put it in both categories. It was it was really interesting. The great thing for me was that there was judges from right round the world, and we'd all come from really different and diverse backgrounds. And um, what was interesting was the work we'd come from all around the world. So, so the people that were there from Britain, for instance. And love the love that kind of British sensibility yeah. and love the sense of humour. Um, judges there that were there from Vietnam or, or India didn't did understand it, yeah. any of that, and, and it was really interesting. And they were kind of trying to find the social good in yeah. the work, and were going, "But how did this change? Well, how did this make impact and wow. change?" Yeah. And um, and we're talking about, "Well, no, it just looks good for a paper company, you know," and, it, and it's funny. And they're going, "But but why would you do it?" And so. Um, you know there's a huge amount of conversation about the the purpose of what we were judging and the purpose of what the work
0: that's um, fascinating did they did did. they try to did they try to preempt this this issue because these awards have been going on for a long time did they sort of give you parameters to to you know is the idea the most important is it execution Mm. that's the most important
1: so they say they've they've given us a book and it's called the judges charter and um it talks about in order to uphold the higher standards, we will judge, judges demand that all work be measured against the following three criteria, and, and it sounds very simple, but it was really interesting, it was the idea, the execution, and the relevance, and relevance was really interesting. The category that I was within was within the craft categories, um, we have to also judge on the strength of the craft, and and then how it contributes to the idea and the success of that idea so um, when there was debate we would often go back to and I think the hard thing for us in branding was that the world every country in the world looks at branding in a different way so um, in America we've got a lot of work that was um, TVCs that were executing an idea for a brand so um, or um, experience-based work that was, um, you know, for Bob Liza, taking over a whole town, and, yeah. and what that did for a brand. Yeah. And then you're comparing that against something that in Britain or in the UK, um, a brand is really a sort of a very just a small jump from an identity, mm-hmm. um, and probably to a lot of designers there, they were like, "Is it a brand? Is it an identity?" and they put it in both categories. But but I, I probably actually just on that point in graphic design, they broke the categories down so they would judge posters, logos, stationary systems.
3: Oh, wow. Yeah, okay.
1: and so in branding, we were judging identity systems. Right. So in, in Australia, we see, um, well, I think we see, <laughs> from my perspective, <laughs> um, we see a brand being uh, bigger than an identity and being um, all the aspects of an organisation from the inside culture to answering how it phones. communicates, to answering your phones yeah. to to how that transition might be as you enter onto a space, um, the experience of a, of a retail situation. And and so brand and the strategy behind a brand is... is um, huge and then an identity is one part of that whereas um, one of the things and and I think there was a really interesting um, judge Iktar so, Ag- Agarara, Ag- Agarwal. Agarwal, she's from India. She was um, the creative director of Landor Associates in, mm. B- in, B- in Mumbai, and um, she now works in New York. And she's working with IDEO on the. She's creative director of the social good part of oh, IDEO, wow. so a huge a huge role. And she looked at a lot of the work that was the um, the British based identity work, and she would often say, but. What is, this isn't a brand this is just this is just an execution of an identity and um, how can we even judge this mm. it was really it was really hard actually to judge the impact of a whole brand so um, the the I think for us as a as a category branding as a category has got a huge way to go for the world to understand holistically what that means and the different interpretations of its meaning was um, was really tricky for us to judge. Whereas there was a book design category and there's a packaging category and and yeah. identi- and sorry, in graphic design there was a posters, you know, and that was was far easier, to, and the debates were probably easier to have, whereas in branding, the, the kind of comparison compete between um, the work was, was really hard to kind All of uphold and judge.
3: People from the poster category are going, no, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's right. You know, and what we judged really well, actually, in graphic design, might not have gone anywhere. Right. So um, we uh, looked at the work that uh, Made Thought did for the Jeff Smith paper company, yeah. and we actually... Um, gave that a, a pencil as a category because it actually demonstrated, even though it's a beautiful piece of design, but what was great was how it demonstrated what it did to the culture of the organisation and how it made cultural change. And it had enough touch points for us as judges to be able to see how they were able to, as designers, uh, work across all the different parts of the business to really change the um, the perceptions, and we know as an audience as designers, but change the perceptions of what that paper company meant and how it was able to bring in the history but also the future of what paper was going to mm. mean to us as designers. So the thinking that was done there was huge, was really, really strong. But actually when it was put up against logos in the graphic design section, it didn't get anywhere. Right. Or when one piece when it went into book design, it didn't yeah. get anywhere. But as a whole package it was a really strong body of work.
3: Which I guess that points to the important of that branding category. Yeah. Just in the sense where you, you can bring everything. Everything,
1: everything together. You. Yeah, that's true. And, but what was interesting for me was that the, the diversity of judges. We had, um, uh, there was quite a few females. Harriet De, uh, DeVille, she was, the, she was the chairman or the foreman, and she was the creative director of Apple. Right. And she was talking about what Apple was doing and the future of Apple and where they were going, and that wow. was for us as judges. That was really interesting. Yeah. That's, surprise, was, that's surprising
0: know, to hear. They don't normally let them let them out of the building.
1: I know. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm not saying telling you anything yeah. but, um, <laughs> about that future. But um, no, no, no. But um, she she was. Um, I mean, and, and a lot of it was abstract. But she was looking at the big brands she wanted to kind of judge everything like Sony yeah. and she could see that that um where the huge where there were the big change with big brands that's what was interesting her she wasn't interested in the small work yeah. um and then there was kind of Nick from MB Studio and the work that he was doing um James Bull who was from moving brands in San Francisco that do a lot of work with advertising agencies right. so um really different people that were coming from all different parts of the world and bringing uh, bringing different knowledge so um, I found that the the most interesting part and being able to debate with these people for 12 hours a day for 4 days so
3: so how how, how does it work so you you sort of get there around 9ish or 10ish and and then basically you straight into sort of judging. And then um, do, do you yeah. spend social time with them too?
1: Um, not well. The judging was really long. Right. I think, I think um, by the end of it, you were kind of...
3: You were, sh- we shattered. were
1: absolutely shattered, yeah. The, actually, the, the, gra- the graphic design category, they did go out and drink right. afterwards. Um, That's graphic design. They, they just paid for it the next day. <laughs> um, I think... I don't think Kevin did, but he i mean he doesn't drink, but he I know he said he they'd gone no. out to like two in the morning or something and used to spend half of the dna um Alcohol budget in one night, but <laughs> we, we you get there at eight o'clock in the morning. There was probably about um, 150 judges. Wow. Yeah. So this is all the judges oh, and wow. all the categories. So yeah. So it's pages um, and pages.
3: There's pages and sort of pages of judges and they six point <laughs> type.
1: <laughs> there was all different categories and um, there was people from. Um, all over the world and the opening night we all got together it was like 140 and um, what was interesting was quite quickly you saw the ad people go into one corner (laughs) and the design people kind of go into another corner it was like they didn't really we didn't really mix all that much but um, one of the things we had to do before we got there was we spent um, we had to spend go down the shortlist so I spent um, I think it was about five solid days judging digital before I actually got there. Oh, so, really? Yeah. Oh, um, wow. So we had to watch, download and watch um, yeah. pieces of work. So we'd already gone through quite a bit of the work, whereas graphic design weren't able to do that. Sure. So they spent, I think, five days solidly. We managed to get through ours in four days because we were already done kind of like five days. Um, so we'd already seen a lot of the moving image work and got that actually because there were different categories there was about seven different categories within what we were j- within branding and um, so there was sort of branding for outdoors branding for right. um, print there was there was all sorts of different there was all sorts of different sort of sub-sectors
3: so, so what do you I mean now that you're moving into the professional judging role what, <laughs> what, what, what do you what do you get for this obviously you're put up and flown there and um, but it. it's just literally for the prestige right. of yeah, yeah.
1: You don't get paid, no. Yeah. You get, yeah, you get, flo- I mean, I think, I mean, we got put up and, um, and all week there's events that they're putting on and speakers and, um, I mean, alcohol
3: budget, and get a drink. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's right, that, that's right, a, a big alcohol budget. There were sort of bars open at night time and they take you out for lunch and, <laughs> you know, and, and I guess they're definitely a big closing party that they had at Mother and so it really is about for me the biggest thing that I got from it was meeting this this jury that I worked with for four days and and actually being with those seven people um, and our minds all coming from different places and really debating what makes a good brand like for me that was a huge education Mm -hmm. and and being able to um, just spend that time 12 hours a day just reassessing and assessing and reassessing what is good about the mm. work and challenging yourself and your perceptions and also trying to get rid of your kind of aesthetic um, yeah. um, was,
3: yeah.
1: feelings or biases mm. I suppose about work Kind mm. of going, well I really don't like that typeface like that is so you <laughs> yeah. know 10 years ago but actually realising that there was a huge idea behind yeah. this work and it didn't matter what the typeface was and how And then also looking at what impact that made and understanding um, work that did have some sort of social good relevance and how were you going to judge that up against something that was just a purely money-making venture that um, was to sell a huge amount of consumer goods. So there was a lot of ethical kind of um, debate that went on Mm. and I think that's been probably bringing that back to our studio and kind of making sure that You know, you can wake up in the morning and go, actually, what I'm doing has some some element of good that, that the world needs. It's fixing something, yeah. It's fixing
0: something, yeah. So speaking of coming back to Melbourne, back to some projects that are kind of happening today, yeah, there yeah. was a really interesting project you were telling us about um, with the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival.
1: Sure. We, we've we worked with the, the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival for a couple of years now, and the reason, the premise that we took it on was probably because we were doing a lot of work with food um, and hospitality, and we thought it'd be great to do, to do the festival. Um, the first few years that we worked on it, it wasn't hugely creative, Job because um, we get paid for what we do as designers, but um, the advertising company that was the partner um, was doing it all pro bono. So it was a chance for their team. Right. They might be doing the kind of Bank of Melbourne work, and the Bank of Melbourne are the he- the sponsor for the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival, and um, so this was a chance for their team to be creative and do okay. something creative. So our job really was one where we were just cleaning up comms and trying to make sense of all the information and all of the and all of the um events and trying to get some sort of sense of hierarchy so and as designers i think that sometimes you just enjoy just making grids and type look good you know and and making sense of it but the actual um creative part of the job was done by this agency and the reason we did it for two years was because they said we're trying to get the money to redo the identity and the first year they said we might not manage it this year it'll be next year and the next year they said oh no <laughs> we haven't managed it so we were sort of just this year we came in and said look we're not going to do it now because we don't like the identity and we, we and they said no we're going to do the identity so we, we've been able to do this identity finally so we're redoing the Melbourne Food and Wine uh, Festival identity and the great thing is by being By doing it for two years, we really understand what the identity needs. And um, in the identity, we wanted to make it a different way of communicating because social media is such a big part of the way that they communicate. Over the years, we've seen the kind of print decline. Fairfax are the main media partner and even that sort of the, 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 the decline of what we put in the kind of newspaper supplement print ads as well as um, you know posters and, and um, outdoor media so that's declining social media needs to pick up and there needs to be a huge effort yep. put on social media so we were as part of the identity we're trying to work on how we can actually have a whole tone of voice and but also how we can do something interesting in that tone of voice so we we decided we'd develop a series of emojis that were were going to be only used for the time of the festival. Right. Uh, you could download those emojis, you could just text people, say, I want to go, do you want to go to the opening night, the world's longest lunch? Um, do you want to just go and have a whiskey and chicken wings? And the emojis would be able to do that. And we've just really able about... to see those emojis and chicken <laughs> <Yeah>. wings. <laughs> That's right, the, the beer and the whiskey and the chicken wings. So yeah. we're doing a we're doing a system of symbols, but we don't want them to be ever used as we don't want it as a button on the website where you can pick on click on the chicken wings yeah. button, for instance. They're only ever used as a communication tool and an easier way to communicate, a more fun way for younger audiences to communicate quickly Mm. um, through that social media channel. And when we were dealing with the client, the client said to us, well, you know, this job, this is going to be like a $50,000 piece of work to to develop these and um, develop an app and get that onto um, iTunes for people to be able to download. And last year that would be $50,000. And now what we've seen... Is that there is an actual app that we can we can take which actually creates the app that produces these emojis that goes onto iTunes and yeah. I guess it was What we were talking about earlier was about the speed in which our industry is changing and how quickly we need to be um, constantly looking at what's going on in the new. Because now that's opened up an opportunity, but that opportunity will only be very short-lived because all of a sudden emojis will be everywhere because Mm. everyone will use this app and it will become something that you can do in your bedroom and your child could probably start to produce their own set yeah. and then within a year's time are we actually going to use texting and is emojis going to be relevant so this you is, know I think uh, it's this, this change and the speed of change
3: so I mean you've, you've got over 20 years experience and in, in, do you think that the speed at what things are changing now is faster than it uh, has been before
1: um I think that the speed in the digital world is definitely faster. Well, We're still, um, so I do think it's faster in a sense of constantly keeping up, uh, working out. You know. How much user experience do you actually need to know? How much, I um, mean, you know, um, 10 years ago, websites were all done in Flash. We were all kind of trying to learn Flash because yeah. we thought we needed to learn that. Then it all went into HTML. And now, you know, WordPress, we can just grab it. And then pretty soon, what the, what self no, designing websites, websites yeah. you know so um, I think you actually after being in it for twenty years you realise you've just got to sail on top of it all right. and keep that same level of thinking. Uh, The thinking hasn't changed, um, and that level of thinking, but the outputs have completely changed. So, what you're putting things on is totally different. You know, we were cleaning up the studio just last month and getting rid of so much storage and files and cupboards that we used to keep paper and print and boxes of kind of samples that we just don't need anymore. And so I think that um, it really is the outcomes haven't changed. It's the outputs that have completely changed. And the outputs are moving really, really quickly. So keeping up with those, but also realising that your job is there to kind of think about ideas and concepts and not just keep trying to juggle all of what are those mediums that you mm. need to put things on and I don't get worried about if if a client comes into a meeting and saying but surely there's an app to do that we're like yeah okay we'll look into that and see if there is and not, and not worry that we didn't actually know that first yeah, of all yeah. or, So um,
3: do, do you think um, clients are more knowledgeable? Now? Clients but, are
1: so much more knowledgeable right. I mean half of our clients have InDesign you know, right, play, yeah. yeah, and can wow. operate it. You right. know, and, and really, our project managers now that used to always use Word, I make them all use InDesign. They all use InDesign, wow. and they, they put their own presentations together because we give them character styles, and they yeah. can set it all up. And we we often now do the front end of projects. We The implementation, less and less, all of the cultural organisations we work with have their own in-house designers. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the PAs can do... A simple sort of press release which is what I mean we used to always have to do that five years ago and I think instead of being scared about that implementation I mean I think you have to look at it as um, we'll do the front side of it and not to get too precious about you've got to be able to, it's that thing of leaving room again, you've got to be able to leave room for the organisation to have something, have an input, yeah, okay, yeah. and we do sometimes go, oh my goodness, you used the wrong grid, or look at those orphans and widows, but actually the public don't see that, right. and and we, we try and clean it up as much as we can, but what the public see is um, the outcome to all of that, and go, yeah. wow, I actually understood what was on, um, the whole experience met my expectations. I got the right material at the right time. Yeah. I, I it communicated to me really well. Um, you know, I think in those twenty years you realise that some of those small details they're not so important. They don't matter. They don't matter so much. And to young designers here that is hard because they're beautiful they're beautiful crafters and they do a great job. But we try and make sure we understand the things that do matter and, and, and mm-hmm. let go of the things that don't and leave enough space for the client to get involved in this. Okay,
3: I guess that's one of the things I wanted to ask, you know, just with the speed of how things are changing and you know that were, we're all using this particular thing and then we're onto this thing and onto that. How do you how do you employ I mean, are you you just looking for someone who's really good with concepts and really good with kind of thinking through an idea, or are you looking for particular skill sets when you employ?
1: Mm. It's become harder and harder to employ. We used to always, um, five years ago, I used to talk to the lecturers and say, "Um, can you get me like the best students that are coming out, I want the greatest thinkers, the ones that can do beautiful craft and you know just understand typography inherently and and that was enough you know I'd get those we'd get some of those great students and yeah. they'd come in here and and we'd kind of work work together but now um, it feels like we've got lots of different roles within the studio yeah. so we have some brilliant people that are great at the crafting and the making and we have others that are really good at the thinking and language and tone of voice and and written content. Others that um, understand digital media and and social media and um, can think across all of those channels. So if we're working on a campaign for something they can think about how that campaign can roll out and and actually get more... um, to build momentum and build audience, so it really does now depend on what the role is. Mm. Um, it's not just about being great designers, and I think that's what would be really challenging if you're a design student now to kind right. of go, okay, how do I, where do I fit with all of, yeah. what is my role? But but I, well, the good thing is that there are many roles, mm. so you might not be the best typographer, and and you might find. The kind of craft of making really struggle. You struggle with it, but you actually do understand strategy, and you do understand um, how to think through a problem, and then are able to craft a beautiful piece of language that goes yeah. alongside that. Yeah. And we 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 have to do a lot more writing now than we've ever ever had to do before. Which is yeah. which
3: is weird in the sense that you know they always talk about that the younger generation aren't reading as much. Yeah, but. Communication still is is kind of inherently in writing.
1: Yeah, it is, and I think I think I mean, and our ideas now. You whereas in the past you'd go into a big boardroom, and I'm talking 20 years ago when I presented something like Bridgestone and Oliver ties to, to a big board meeting, and there was like 20 people um, sitting around a boardroom, and you presented in, and there was a kind of um, they either buy into it, there was yeah. their discussion, and they come back to you with feedback. Now your work. Um, you'll present in and quite often it might be with the CEO but then they take that presentation and the words that are in that presentation and they re-represent it to the board or they go and present it on to three people in their team that they really advise them and you realise your work needs to be able to be its own salesman and and it doesn't, you can't always be there presenting it. The written word is often stronger than the visual which is a shame because I, I kind of would love it if the whole world Understood things visually, but yeah. you only have to look out into the world sometimes and realise they just don't, yeah. you know. And if you tell them it's good, they'll believe it. Yeah. And because you've got a good reputation, they'll go, okay, if you think so, Michaela, we'll go with it. But, um, <laughs> but you know, but they actually don't often don't have an idea visually. Yeah. But when you articulate it and you say, this is the re- you've told me this is what you're trying to do, yeah. and so the reason we're doing this is because of that. They can't argue with that reason, yeah. you know. And if you can articulate that, I don't have those conversations anymore where they say, I'm not sure about that typeface or I'm not sure about that colour. We just don't do those Mm -hmm. conversations. The the conversations are more about you've got a need to um, have a cue outside your institution and that's what you really want and to get that this is the kind of work we need to do to get that cue. And they they now go, Okay, yep, all right and they don't you know there's not that same sort of conversation over the small details, it's more bigger picture, which is great. But then It also means you don't get the time to craft those small details either Mm -hmm. because you're constantly looking at the kind of big picture
0: mm. conscious of time i think we've got we've got tons of good stuff in there it's i've got right. i've got only 150 more questions Flint, so
1: yeah <laughs> okay
0: yeah again this is probably one of the we, we do this every now and then with some people michaela where we sort of end up with more questions by the end than oh, i think sorry. we started with at the beginning <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no it's no it's great it, it's the sign of a really good oh, conversation cool. we usually close out the show by just kind of um mentioning kind of where people can find the show and where people can find you and things like that sure. so i'll just i'll just start with. Matt. Um, so Matt where can people find you if they want to get in touch just on, on Twitter or at Leechworth. yep and Michaela
1: find me on Twitter at studio round and um, you
3: know anywhere else that you frequent
1: um, no not really I'm it's. Not really it's
3: People, it's funny how people like Twitter is obviously the the kind of business side of things, and then Instagram is like They're personal just my kids. And and all that kind of stuff.
1: It is. We we do have a studio around um, Instagram account, but it's new. It's not. We're not very good at it at the moment. I think Instagram need to be able to let you have two users. They haven't got that yet. I agree. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, my my personal one is Michaela B Webb, but um, it is more about Eva and what she's made rather than. Um, it does have a little bit of round work. But but um, yeah, I think once we get those two users, it'll be brilliant.
0: Sure. I agree. I have I have four accounts on Instagram, and I yeah, I feel feel your pain. Yeah. I feel like once they allow you to switch between, it'll be just a hell of a lot. It'll be so
1: good. Otherwise, I just keep forgetting those passwords. I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs>
0: God. Yeah. Me yeah. too. Me too. Um, and uh, you can find me at Flynn Tracy um, on Twitter and pretty much everything else. And uh, you can find this episode and more at AustralianDesignRadio.Simplecast.fm. And you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at AusDesignRadio. And that's it. Thank you very much, Michaela. And thank you. you. Well wow.
1: done.